Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, when you hear the word freedom, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Freedom. Is it the like 1990s George Michael pop jam? Maybe, some of you? Or maybe you're like me, a little more rock and roll, you hear the word freedom and it's like Tom Morello's guitar that you start hearing, starts playing a loop in your mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's not music, maybe there's something else that comes to mind. Maybe there's movies, there's some pretty popular um, moments where there is an idea of freedom or a call for freedom. I, I can't think of a more iconic moment than when William Wallace is lying on the table being tortured at the end of the movie and instead of calling out for mercy he shouts freedom. Um, yeah, while Mel Gibson may have become a little problematic in the last few years, can we talk about how amazing Braveheart was in its time? Like especially if for those of us who just saw it as a movie, that we recognize that there were some liberties taken. You know, it's riddled with historical inaccuracies. It's not a documentary by any stretch, but um, <coughs> but there's so many iconic scenes. Like, but none is as moving as that final one when William Wallace cries out that last freedom. Uh, there's some pretty heavy-handed hints at the similarities between Wallace and and Jesus in that scene. It's pretty hard not to think of another suffering freedom fighter stretched out, tortured on a wooden cross. Freedom. We're getting into the chapter five of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're coming to the like crux of his argument. It's the, it's the main event, the foci of the, the whole endeavor is, is, is this idea of freedom. If he had to use a single word to describe this chapter, and maybe even the letter as a whole, it would be that, freedom. All through the first four chapters, he's been building this case for Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That the gospel doesn't come with any extra requirements or laws. That by going back to the old ways, we actually diminish the freedom that Christ came to give us. And in chapter 5, it, he, it really feels like the climax of the letter. It culminates in some of the most beautiful theology that Paul had ever written. So let's get into it. We're going to do just the first half of um, chapter 5. We read in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We'll pause here for a second. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That, that's a 
verse worth committing to memory. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The work of Christ is all about liberation. It's liberation from the bondage of sin, liberation from our fear of death. Christ came to set us free. And Paul is saying that the game has changed. Now that Christ has come, he's, he's flipped the tables over. He has completely changed the rules. The methods that we used to use to get to God are no longer needed. Now God has come to us in the person of his son, and that son has set us free. And he's reminding the Galatians that it's all about Jesus. It's all about the work of Christ, not our own works. Because as soon as we add our works to his, we somehow diminish his work. As if our attempts to work our way to God's, like into God's good books, cast shade on the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. We have been set free. This was what, this was Christ's purpose in coming, to set us free. And, and while we may be tempted to pick up the old law or create new ones for ourselves to go back to our old ways of relating to God, Paul encourages us to stand firm in the freedom, not to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For, for that, for the Galatians, that meant that they weren't just going to listen to these false teachers. That those teachers that were telling them that in order to be faithful to Jesus, you needed to return to the law of Moses and be faithful to the old covenant, to be circumcised. That was the main issue, circumcision, right? That outward sign that you belonged to the family of God. But Paul's saying, like, you already belong. Don't, don't go back. As soon as you go back, you've made Christ worthless in your life. You already belong through faith. Stepping back into the law, becoming circumcised would hold no value. In fact, it's going to make things more difficult because then you have to go back and obey the entire law. He goes as far as saying that Christ is of no value to you. You've dropped out of or you've fallen away from grace. Those are, those are weighty words from the apostle. His reasoning is that if we attempt to get to God by following the law, then we subject ourselves to the entire law. And we will inevitably fall short of that. Not one of us is capable of living a perfect, sinless life. Especially if all we have is the law and our own will to guide and transform us. We'll, we'll fall short before lunchtime today. There's just no way we can make it. That's what Christ came to set us free from. This, the freedom that he's brought us into. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from having to keep the law perfectly in our own strength. Now we have the one who kept that law on our behalf, the, the one who laid down his life to defeat death and to carry our sin and shame. And now that same God who was willing to do that, Jesus who did that, now dwells inside of us by the Spirit, making us children of God, free, free at last. And this is a really revolutionary concept. And it's one that I'm not so sure that we as Christians today have always understood and walked in. Because one of the things we've become really good at is creating new rules or creating new things that would be an outward sign. Maybe it's not circumcision anymore, but we've got these outward signs that we're truly following Jesus. Freedom's not always the first word that comes to mind when I think of Christians. Often we talk about the restrictions, things that we're not allowed to do or we shouldn't do as followers of Jesus. At least that's the message I got when I first came to Christ. Like I immediately stopped going to parties because I knew that that wasn't good for me. I stopped hanging around with the friends that I had before I came to know Jesus and, and kind of ditched those friends altogether because they weren't the best influence on me. 
So I, I decided I couldn't be around their foul music and uh, their foul language and their alcohol consumption and all, all of the party stuff that went along with that. And so I tossed all of that stuff out, including all of my non-Christian music. My, my faith was marked at least in part by these things that I did or didn't do. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing at the time, especially because those decisions were, were born out of a personal conviction and, and a response to the freedom that Christ had brought into my life. But they quickly became markers of my Christian life. That it was like, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. And like, see how I'm a little bit better. See how I'm a little more faithful because of these things. I didn't have the desire to go back to the old way of life, but I had kind of created these new markers of belonging. And if we start with those markers, like many people attempt to do, and not in the relationship, we miss out. We will always fall short of the holiness that Christ demands of us. We'll always fall short of the righteousness if it's done in our own strength, if it's only us attempting to uh, reach perfection. But if we allow Christ to transform us, to change us, to mold and shape us, then we become free. In some very real ways, I, I felt free. I felt burdened from the life of sin. I felt free to walk in ways that pleased God. But in other ways, I felt like I was boxed in by other people's expectations and regulations. That Did it really mean that I couldn't listen to a band that I used to listen to because now I follow Jesus? Did it mean that I shouldn't have friends who don't know Jesus and, and be involved in their life? I think this is often one of the roadblocks that people outside of the church bump up against when it comes uh, to following Jesus. When they're confronted with the idea of following him, this idea that they have to have everything all together or they have to be perfect or they have to give up all of these things before they can follow him. I, I hear people occasionally joke when they walk into a church sanctuary that, you know, I might spontaneously combust or hopefully there's no lightning inside the building. Or they, they feel like, they, they can't come into God's presence or into a, into a sacred space because they're not worthy. They feel like they're, well, I'm not ready to give up this stuff in my life, so I'm not going to follow Jesus yet. I'll, I'll hold off, I'll wait, I'll have my fun, and then I'll, um, then I'll uh, give my life to Jesus later on. And what they're looking at is the rules. They're looking at these regulations, these arbitrary laws that we've put in place that say that, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, this is what you have to do. We say it's Jesus plus whatever. And that's not the freedom that Christ brings. It's Again, it's putting the cart before the horse. It's true. Once we follow Jesus, some of those things we held on to, or that actually held on to us, lose their power and attraction. The things that we're so worried about giving up, once we've turned our lives to Jesus and we've had him transform us, we realize that they weren't all that exciting to begin with. We don't have the desire to continue going down the path we were on. We have this desire to, to follow Jesus and to walk in his ways. So if we start with Jesus, those things fall to the side. If we start with the checklist, it seems like this barrier that we're not willing to cross. Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It wasn't to just give us another set of laws. He came to set us free, free from the bondage that we didn't even realize we were trapped in, free from those things that we, we do see and understand, that we recognize are hard for us, but we're, we're more free than we could ever imagine. The freedom that Christ comes to bring is an all-encompassing, it's heart, soul, mind, it's everything, freedom. This gift comes to us. It's absolutely free. We don't get to add anything to it. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. And the last two lines are so crucial for the Galatians and in turn us 
it's, it's, it's crucial for us to understand. He says, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In other words, the righteousness comes to us through faith, through Jesus living in and through us. It's not our own righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness in us. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's another one I wish we would all memorize. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is a revolutionary thing for Paul to say. I know I've used that word a lot in Galatians, but if we unpack where Paul's coming from and, and how um, important the idea of circumcision was to those early followers, uh, not only of Jesus, but the, the people who came, grew up in the Jewish faith, this was the, the marker of belonging. This is how you knew you were part of the family of God. And so, the, the idea that the identity marker of the people of God has been circumcision for centuries, Paul says that's now behind us. It's of no value. Like to say it's of no value is a huge statement. But instead, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. I wish this were the motto for every Christian on the internet and in the public sphere. Like the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Love. Like how do you know if someone is saved? How do you know if somebody has given their life to Jesus? How do you know from the outside, what's the identity marker? What's the thing? It's, if it's not circumcision anymore and it's not all these other rules, how do you know? Well, I start with that. Do they love? Like, I don't mean just like, are they kind to people? I mean, do they like over the top, unconditional, sacrificial love people? Love like Jesus kind of love, right? Like, is their faith expressing itself through love? Is there this outward desire to bless others? Do they love others? Or are they caught up in their own lives? Are they caught up in useless debates and fights over things that don't matter to the average person that doesn't know Jesus? I find it um, really frustrating sometimes when I see um, the way we treat or talk to one another as Christians in the public sphere, uh, like on social media, the way that we attack one another for not believing the right things in a certain way. And, and, and for people who are outside of the faith, these things don't matter. They don't make any difference. The, the idea that we would argue about circumcision for somebody who doesn't um, follow our faith would be just like, what are you even talking about? You know, uh, we're about to enter the season of the war on Christmas, right? Where, you know, some Christians get all bent out of shape when people say happy holidays. These are things that don't matter. They, they really don't matter. I think love would compel me to wish my neighbor the best of the season. Uh, all of the blessings would come to them. Whether they recognize the birth of Jesus or not, we would, we would want to see love expressed in their lives whether they celebrate Hanukkah or, or what, whatever, right? Whatever their uh, season of celebration is. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Well, what would that look like in your life this week? What would it look like for, for your faith to be expressed in love to those around you this week? Because this is why Paul uh, writes to the Galatians. He says, Christ has set us free. And we use that freedom now to serve others. We're not only free from sin and shame and death and destruction, but we're free to love. Free from and free to. Paul's trying to get the church in Galatia back on track, focused back on the main thing. They're being pulled uh, off course by this argument around circumcision. And he's like, circumcision doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that does is faith expressing itself through love. And it's a good litmus test for our own faith. Are we more loving today than we were yesterday? 
Is, is that love more apparent in the way that we speak to one another? Is, is it more apparent in the way we spend our time, in the way we invest our money? Is it, are we motivated by love? Faith expressing itself through love. Paul continues, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion, sorry, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He gets back to this issue of people who are trying to lead them astray. He says, you were doing so well. Like, who pulled you off course? Are those really the kind of teachers that you want to follow? And it's not entirely clear why these teachers have been pushing circumcision. It might be that they just want to preserve the Jewish aspect of their faith. Like, they had long waited for a Messiah to come. And they couldn't fathom the, the idea that the old ways were no longer necessary. Maybe they just wanted to keep the best of both words, worlds. I, I try not to paint these teachers as, like, villainous wretches, right? Like, you know, the snidely whiplashes twisting their long mustaches and cackling on the sidelines. Like, we're going to destroy the church. Oh, I think many of them would have had good though maybe misguided intentions, that they, they had their understanding of how God worked and they, they couldn't uh, see that maybe God might be doing a new thing and grafting in all of these Gentiles without making them become part of the family of Israel first by circumcision. God had worked through the law in the past. Why, why would he change course? I, I can understand why they perhaps wanted to stay true to the tradition and, and maybe just hedge their bets, right? Cover all the bases. Like, hey, it's probably a good idea. But Paul hints at another motivation here when he mentions persecution. It's as if becoming circumcised might help those new believers fly under the radar and escape persecution. That one of the ways to, to step back from the uh, following Jesus is to become Jewish as well. That they, they would somehow make their um, religion more palatable to those around. Because Nero was after Christians. It doesn't say that he was after the, the Jewish people. And so perhaps if they could identify more as Jewish than as Christian, depending on the situation, they might be able to steer clear of some of that persecution. And Paul had already suffered greatly for his preaching of the gospel, for, for sharing this good news that Christ had come to set the people free. And he wanted the Galatians to recognize that, like, this is part of the race. You were running a good race. Who pulled you off course? Like, there will be persecution. And circumcision's not the way of getting around that. That last line, <laughs> if you don't think the Bible, and it, like, in this particular case, Paul is a little bit spicy sometimes, like, read that last line again and think about the meaning behind that little gem. As for those agitators, those Judaizers, those of the circumcision group, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Do you, do you catch that? I, I don't want to be too crass, but Paul's saying, like, hey, not just the foreskin, hack the whole thing off. That's what he's saying. I wish they would go the whole way, not just circumcision, castration. Paul is fired up about this. Because for him, what's at stake is the very heart of the gospel. If the gospel is about us doing enough, or following the law, or being moral and good and righteous, if it's not just accepting this free gift of grace, 
realizing that we will always fall short and that all of our righteous acts are still tainted with our pride and our selfishness, then we're declaring that the work of Jesus was incomplete. If it still requires us to be obedient, if it still requires something of us, that he somehow needs our help or our obedience in order to be saved. Again, I've said this a couple of times in the series. This is getting the cart before the horse. We follow Jesus in his ways. We choose to love. We choose righteousness. We choose the good. We, we choose that out of a love response for the gift that's already been given to us. We choose to live into this new life that Christ has given us. It's not about us being obedient in order to be saved. It's about obedience being produced in us because we've been saved, because we have been delivered, because we have been set free, we are now free to love. We are free to walk in holiness. We are free to walk in righteousness. It's not so that we earn something because it's already been given to us. Our response is to a gift. It's not that we earn the gift by our obedience. We respond to the gift, we surrender to God's will, and then we have the life of Christ live through us. And that's what Paul gets into in the last part of this passage. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I, I love this. this. This is almost the like, uh, the guard uh, or the, or the like, hold on, like, yes, you're called to freedom, but there's, there's a caveat. Um, we've been called to freedom, but freedom, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Our freedom has the ability to lift others up, or it has the ability to discourage others. Uh, how we use our freedom affects other people. Because I may be free to do whatever I want, but if my freedom infringes upon someone else's freedom, we have to navigate that. We have to walk through that. I, I remember reading a really beautiful story of this sort of love in action uh, on a blog post by Richard Beck a few years ago. And it was about Christians who found the freedom um, to consume alcohol. And it's a brief ex excerpt, but I wanna read it right from his blog post. He says, a lot of post-evangelicals drink, and many of them drink a lot, freed from the don't drink prohibitions of their conservative upbringings. These are Christians who are now enjoying the freedom they find in Christ to drink alcohol. Consequently, a lot of progressive post-evangelical circles, there's been a lot of drinking, and everyone, it seems, wants to have a church in a bar. That conflation, church in a bar, is a sort of sign that you've reached escape velocity from your evangelical past. Drinking is a way to put those conservative ghosts to rests. And he says, and to reiterate, I have no problem with drinking. One of those things I love more than just about anything is a good conversation over a beer. And yet, I'm still environmentally and socially sensitive about drinking. And I wish more progressive post-evangelical Christians were as well. He tells this story. Many years ago, Jana and I were part of an Easter passion play, a cooperative effort put on by a few local churches. After the last show, we all went to the cast party being hosted by some of the cast members who were progressive post-evangelical Christians. So there was alcohol there. This was only a problem because a young couple who were members of the cast were also new Christians. They had come out of a past full of heavy, heavy drinking. In becoming Christians, they had turned their backs on that lifestyle and had given up drinking. So they were really looking forward to their first party with their new Christian friends. On arrival, they were disillusioned and confused to find alcohol there, which bothered Jana and I. 
So to make them feel comfortable and to honor their choices and new lifestyle, Jana and I didn't drink that night. The point of my telling this story is that I don't ever want my Christian liberty to, to be a cause of stumbling blocks, of stumbling for others. And, and, and new Christians aside, I think it's important for progressive Christians to have hard conversations about alcoholism. It's a downer to be sure, but in your enjoyment of drinking, I fear we have occasionally failed to give our attention to the darkness in our churches associated with alcohol abuse and dependence. This, that's the end of Richard's. What I love about this is the, is the ebb and flow of the like, freedom that we have, um, we have found in Jesus, or freedom that we have found. And when we allow our freedom to pull us into areas without any thought of how this affects others, we, we could do harm with our freedom. That just because we've found some freedom, it doesn't necessarily mean we're free to do whatever we want. Sometimes our freedom should cause us to give caution to some of the things that we've labeled as freedom when it's really become another form of slavery. Uh, Sarah Bessie wrote a really great blog post a few, blog post a few years ago how she went from uh, being conservative, teetotaling, no alcohol, uh, to a regular wine drinker, uh, found the freedom uh, to find alcohol, and then um, through some, spending some time talking to the Spirit, came back to the decision to cut alcohol out of her life again. The, this, this idea of freedom doesn't just mean it's no holds barred, do what you want. I, I'm reminded of Paul's words in another letter in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. In other, other translations, it says everything is per permissible. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And I think that's a really great way of looking at our freedom. We may have permission to explore the freedom that we have in Christ, but there's a caution to it. Don't use your freedom to indulge uh, in the flesh. Don't use your freedom as something that is going to cause a stumbling block for others. Don't just seek your own good, but the good of others. Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the double-edged sword of freedom. If we're not careful, we will use our freedom to run amok and we'll cast off restraints or laws and rules. The, the, the danger in a theology of Jesus plus nothing equals everything is there's now no requirements for us who follow Jesus. And that's not entirely true. They're not requirements for salvation. If you have put your trust in him, that's all. The man on the middle cross said you could come. But when we live out of a life of uh, love, when we, when we look to serve our neighbor, it's going to cause us to live differently than we did before we came to know Jesus. It's going to cause us to think about how our freedom affects others. If our freedom is causing others harms, that's not Jesus' idea of freedom. If we choose to serve ourselves rather than others, we're, we're misusing the freedom that we've been given because there's a responsibility that comes with this freedom. We're, we're to wield it wisely to consider how we might love our neighbor, how we might serve one another, how our freedom might be a blessing to others. In the movie, William Wallace laid down his life to set the Scots free, but in the real world, Jesus laid down his life to set all of us free. So how might our freedom express itself in the ways of Jesus this week? How might our faith express itself in love? How might we love our neighbors and declare freedom in a world that sure could use the good news of freedom today? Because this is why Jesus came. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. 
Lord, I remember the moment I gave my life to you. It felt as if a huge weight had come off my shoulders. I knew a freedom and a peace that I had never experienced before, but it didn't take long before I, I turned that freedom back into following the rules. And often out of fear or, or obligation, rather than realizing that if I just allowed you to transform my heart and life, that your spirit would work in and through me in ways that would, would bring about that freedom. Not just for me, but for others. You came to set us free. Free from sin and shame, free from the fear of death, free to love one another, to express our faith through love. So would you help us? Help us to keep that at the center of our lives, loving others freely, without thoughts of repayment or obligation to respond, like love without any strings attached, because that's how you love us, indiscriminately, unconditionally. You loved us even when we were outside the family, like a father waiting for the prodigal to come home. Help us to live in that kind of love and to spread that love wherever we go. Would we this week especially consider how our faith might be expressed in love to those around us? that we might love our neighbors well because of the freedom we enjoy in you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for Church at Home. We hope that this series in Galatians has been a blessing so far and that you'll stick with us through to the end. Hope that you've been encouraged and challenged. If there's ways that we can be praying with you or for you, we'd love a chance to connect. If you'd like to join us in person at 280 Karen, we meet 1030 on Sunday mornings. Um, we also have a few events coming up in November that you might be interested in. You can head over to the website to see what's coming up in the future. And until we see you again, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God be reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God be reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to you.